0: episode 15 with Megan Ramos. Let me tell you something. This ain't just changing the boogie. It is roundhouse kicking it into the chest. (laughs) Welcome to Solving Healthcare. I'm Quedro Caramante. I'm an ICU and palliative care physician here in Ottawa and the founder of Resource Optimization Network. We are on a mission to transform healthcare in Canada. I'm going to talk with physicians, nurses, administrators, patients, and their families because inefficiencies, overwork, and overcrowding affects us all. I believe it's time for a better healthcare system that's more cost-effective, dignified, and just for everyone involved. These intros are getting less and less filtered. Welcome back, everybody. Thanks for tuning in. I'm really excited about episode 15. I can't wait for you guys to hear it. If there's one key takeaway for this episode, it's that intermittent fasting is effective and sustainable. Okay. The stories you're going to hear Megan talk about in terms of patients coming off their diabetic meds, patients improving their inflammatory diseases, they're incredible. So I I, I think this is one of the key messages I want you guys to take away from this. I've been doing this personally for two years plus and have never felt better you'll hear more about that in this episode. Okay. couple housekeeping things. The show is growing. Your feedback has been amazing. Help us to continue to grow the show. I'm going to ask that you just tell one person about your favorite episode, whether that's in person, whether that's through a text message saying, Hey, check out this episode. Let's continue to grow the show. Let's continue to change the boogie. All these efforts help a ton and we really appreciate that. Okay. Next, our sponsor, BetterHelp. These guys are amazing. This is a group of online counselors that provide convenient, affordable, high-quality counseling, whether that's, you know, your teen, whether that's couple counseling, whether that's uh, healthcare providers that are experiencing compassion fatigue, this is a group for you. So if you guys are interested, go to betterhelp.com and use the promo code Solving Healthcare and get 10% off your sign-up fees. All right, one more thing. Before I introduce Megan, I got to give a shout out to Tanya Croft, who introduced me to the idea of getting Megan on the show. And she's one of our uh, volunteers that have helped out tremendously in terms of screening episodes and giving show ideas. So Tanya, we love you. Thank you so much for all your help. All right, Megan Ramos. I just love saying that name. She's the director of Intensive Dietary Management Program along with her partner, Jason Fung, have provided an online platform and community to make fasting a reality for many people. And their efforts have dramatically changed the lives of so many. And we'll also get into what fasting has done for Megan herself. Like she had a diagnosis of type 2 diabetes at an early age. She had polycystic ovarian syndrome. She had fatty liver and All these conditions were reversed by fasting. I can't wait for you guys to hear this episode. So without further ado, Megan Ramos. Megan Ramos, thank you so much for appearing on the show.
1: Oh, no problem. Thank you for having me.
0: Absolutely. I got to tell you, some of our listeners were losing their mind when they heard that you were coming on the show. And, you know, I think... After, if people don't know who you are, they'll soon find out about some of the tremendous stuff you and, and the people of your clinic are doing. So I'm really excited to have you on.
1: Oh, thank you. <laughs> I'm excited to share. I've had some unique experiences that are pretty cool. So I'm happy to get the message out there.
0: Awesome. Awesome. So maybe let's just start, making with your story. Like, how did you, like, what brought you to the world of fasting? What brought you? To the world of developing this intensive dietary management clinic like what got you here
1: <laughs> sort of uh both my personal life and my professional life my mom was always really sick growing up and doctors weren't trying to figure out what was wrong with her they were just giving her medications and she was having surgeries to try to fix her symptoms. And I was just, I grew up sleeping in emergency rooms and watching them never spend any time with her to figure out why she was actually experiencing the symptoms and the issues that she had. So from a young age, I knew I wanted to go into some field of medicine, wanted to be in preventative medicine and do, uh, do research and, and try to help people. So that has been my goal since I I was a little kid. Um, Simultaneously, though, you know, my parents, they're highly educated people, a strong family of heart disease on both sides. I lost an uncle when I was nine. He was 36. Mm -hmm. He had his third heart attack. So Mm -hmm. my parents, you know, they tried to follow all the guidelines to a T growing up. But uh, I I wasn't obese to look at. But in hindsight, I was toffee which means thin on the outside, but fat on the inside. When I was a kid, when I was 12, I was diagnosed with fatty liver disease. And in hindsight, I know that's because I was an um, apple juice addict. Mm-hmm. And when I was 14, I was diagnosed with polycystic ovarian syndrome. And my doctors just were perplexed. I, went to, I saw some top pediatricians in the city of Toronto. and went to the hospital for sick kids and saw some experts there. And they couldn't figure it out because my BMI was actually classified as underweight, but I was truly obese. And they didn't know that then. I didn't know that then as a kid. And they just sort of shrugged their shoulders off and said, okay, you know, you'll, you'll grow out of it because you don't fit the patient profile. So it's some like awkward pre-puberty, puberty thing <laughs> that you're going through. I was literally what one expert at Sick Kids told me. Wow. Throughout my teenage years, uh, I was always very busy, uh, teenage years and early 20s, really busy um, school, research, volunteering, working, swimming, all kinds of sports. I played three sports in my high school. I swam, I figure skated. And I. in hindsight, even though I didn't eat a lot of what I would consider to be healthy foods by my definition these days, I actually fasted a lot. I uh, would mm. get into big fights with my parents over breakfast because I didn't want to eat it. Um, often skip lunch, uh, occasionally skip dinner, but I always sort of maintained a slender appearance. And then in my mid 20s, I'm working in research. I actually started doing research with Dr. Fung when I was 15 in his kidney clinic. And uh, i was still there <laughs> 10 years later, 25, feeling mm. really depressed about my career path because. All I was doing was watch people die from diabetic kidney disease. Uh, I felt like I was just monitoring their progression to this horrendous death. Of, and um, I got really depressed because I said, you know, I'm not learning anything about preventative medicine here. I'm, I'm watching people die. You know, you get to know these people, you start to care about them. And mm-hmm. it's just hard to watch people that you care about die, like on a daily basis. Uh, it was at some point. Um so I thought, okay, you know, like, what are you going to do with your career? So I took some time off before going back to school. And I said, all right, you know, we'll spend this year figuring out what you want to do. But now that you're 25, you need to start to get your health together. And I, at 25, I started gaining a little bit of weight. So I was done with school. Friends were all working, starting to have children. My social life wasn't as busy. Neither were my extracurricular activities. So I would come home from work and sit down and and eat and watch TV and and catch up on, on TV and movies and and I would snack. I would chronically mm-hmm. be snacking. So I said, okay, get back to the Canadian Food Guide. Start you know eating your three meals a day and your three snacks a day and you know have proper. Proper eating etiquette, and well, with over the course of a year and a half, I had gained, uh, gained over eighty pounds. Wow. I had um, developed type two diabetes, and at the during this time too, I was working with a dietitian, a very fancy and famous dietitian downtown Toronto, and she practically accused me of lying to her about what I ate, and accused wow. me of sitting in my closet stuffing my face with Oreos. Oreos were her cookie of choice, not mine. If I was going (laughs) to stuff my face with a cookie, it wouldn't be an Oreo. And I was actually working out with a personal trainer. I came from a a family that could help me out and they saw me struggling and I was working out with the trainer three times a week. So I had all of these resources and I had all the finances in the world to have the best resources of everything. And that just led to severe obesity and, um, and diabetes. So Mm -hmm. I was brokenhearted. And at this time, I felt like my brain was fried. And I was literally getting through my work days because I had started taking Adderall. And Mm. that's when Jason said, you know, none of this makes sense. And he started doing um, research into low carb diets. I started trying to do low carb diet. But as a kid, he grew up in a family where there was no fat ever. And eggs were a huge sin. Yeah. It was uh really sort of tough for me to make those changes, and I wasn't much of a cook so uh being busy and feeling brain dead and so lethargic it it was tough to use the energy to yeah. try to reinvent my diet and then Jason had a friend who sparked his interest in fasting when I had at dinner. And over the course of the weekend, he did a lot of research on fasting and religion. But you know, why did religions fast beyond sort of the spiritual aspects? Mm-hmm. And he just you know went back and uh, you know just read through all of the stuff, and everything clicked for him about meal timing. And he, he came into the clinic, and I broke down. And he said, "You got to fast." And he says, "Listen, I get it. You know, you're too drained right now to reinvent your diet, and you." Too unfamiliar in the kitchen and lack the confidence, but you don't need to have any confidence to just not eat. And eating re- or fasting requires you to do less, not do more. So you mm-hmm. should be able to do it. And I did it and I hated it at first, <laughs> but over the course of the month, the results were undeniable. And six months later, I reversed all of my disease, diabetes, PCOS, fatty liver, I had lost over 60 pounds, and I was off the the Adderall, and life was looking really, really good. Wow. Yeah, so how we started doing the Intensive Dietary Management Clinic was that my research patients saw how well I was doing. And then our colleagues in the nephrology department saw how well I was doing and they gave us permission to start with a small group of nephrology patients. And Mm -hmm. that just sort of booms. And then, um, and then we, we moved most of it online now to an online program called the fasting method. And actually to date, we, you know, we've worked with over 14,000 people worldwide, which is, which is pretty cool. So. I I get to be healthy and I get to do what I always wanted to do, which was to help people become better. So my days are, are packed with a lot of cool stuff. I'm very fortunate.
0: Wow, Megan. So from what you're telling me, you were able to cure your type 2 diabetes, your PCOS. You were able to lose weight all by fasting. And, yeah, it's so cool. <laughs> uh, I, I like it when you think about it. It's a bit, cra- it's it's a bit crazy when you think about it. So, we'll talk about the details of your clinic and and so on in a second here. But, um, what what are the different types of fasting? And what like because you see a little, quite a few definitions. Like I, for example, i I'm a I've been doing what I think you'll call time restricted eating for about two years now, and I I could I could say personally like the benefits for me have been tremendous. Like I, I am a relatively fit guy, but you know, it's allowed me to um, like, I've cut down on my fat percentage. I am, I feel better. Uh, it's a lot more convenience in terms of just getting out of the house uh, and not getting bogged down with breakfast. But yeah, maybe if you don't mind, what are the different ways to fast?
1: Yeah, absolutely. We have what we consider to be time restricted eating windows, which means you're either eating two uh, two meals or three meals a day. So if you're eating three meals a day, then you're just eating those meals. You're not snacking between meals. So if you're someone that's listening that's been nervous to try fasting, that's where I'd recommend. You know, most of us are just so used to eating all day long nowadays. Mm. So. Uh, eating breakfast and then fasting until lunch, having lunch, fasting until dinner, and then fasting a good 12 to 14 hours overnight. Um, then to get into sort of what people consider more of a fasting style, time-restricted eating protocol would be the 16 or 18 hour fast where you're just eating two meals. Uh, mm-hmm. Most people elect to skip breakfast. So they eat lunch, they eat dinner, and then they fast from dinner that evening until lunch the next day, so they'll do somewhere between sixteen to eighteen hours. And on social media uh, and in the news, you'll often refer to it as or here referred to as the sixteen eight or the eighteen six fast. Mm-hmm. Um, for people though that are really looking to lose weight and to treat themselves medically with fasting. Uh, we actually consider 16-8 or an 18-6 fast to, to be time-restricted eating and how people should eat on their eating days. So we don't really consider them to be a fasting day. For younger, healthy people looking to maintain their good health and their fabulous body composition, then 16- or 18-hour uh, fast daily is, is absolutely safe and excellent for those individuals to follow. But most people looking to lose weight and to tackle issues like high blood sugars, high blood pressure, cholesterol issues, then we have them uh, doing more of intermittent fasting in various protocols. So we do, uh, in our program, the 24-hour or the 36-hour protocol, a 24-hour fast would be say today you ate and then you finished dinner at six o'clock, then you would fast from tonight at six o'clock until tomorrow at six o'clock. So Mm -hmm. tomorrow you would miss breakfast and lunch and you would have dinner. So during a 24 hour fast, you are eating one meal on that day. Uh, Mm -hmm. And most people choose to fast from dinner to dinner because that's the least disruptive to them and their families. But you could alternatively fast from lunch to lunch too. I know a lot of People who are retired actually prefer to fast from lunch to lunch. A lot of women who struggle with HP axis uh, dysfunction or adrenal issues or thyroid issues actually do much better fasting from lunch to lunch than dinner to dinner as well, I found. Okay. And alternatively, though, you could do uh, breakfast to breakfast if uh, that is what works best with your schedule. We find that most of our the people that we've worked with have very elevated blood sugar levels in the morning, and they would prefer to bring those blood sugar levels down before introducing the first meal. So, that's a popular reason why we skip breakfast. Mm-hmm. Um, the 36 hour fast, the math of it sounds a little wonky, but it's actually pretty clean. So, you would uh, eat on Sunday, and Sunday you would start fasting after dinner. You'd fast all day Monday, and then you'd eat on Tuesday. So you're fasting from Sunday dinner to Tuesday breakfast. So it's actually it's a pretty clean fast. So if you were to do it three times a week, you would not eat on Monday, Wednesdays, and Fridays, and you would eat on Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday, and Sunday. If you're never hungry for breakfast, you don't have to have it. A lot of uh, the people that we've worked with just skip it and uh, then they do more of a 40 or 42 hour fast. So we find most people need to do this for about six months to really start to get control of their metabolic issues and to see things moving down nicely. And then we can scale, scale back to more of the 24 hours or the 16 or 18 hour fast if we need to. And occasionally we'll, we'll even do longer fasting if required.
0: Wow. Okay. And in terms of, in terms of the fast, are they, are people eating nothing? You know what I'm saying? Cause you'll, you'll read about things that might be okay to ingest during a fasting period, but it's at least maybe in terms of what you recommend or what you feel is appropriate, what's your thoughts on that?
1: So as for what you can and can't have during a fast, um, for people that are looking to lose weight and uh, treat metabolic syndrome, you know, water, uh, flat water, mineral water, carbonated water is great. We also encourage people to have tea and coffee. The tea can be black tea or any herbal tea. And we also encourage people, if they're feeling a little lightheaded or lethargic, uh, then to start incorporating some salt into their fast. So they can either put a pinch of salt on their tongue and drink some water or add some salt to their water. That doesn't jive well for the person. I, I understand that drinking salty water is not for everybody. You could have some bone broth or some low-carb vegetable broth, or you could even have some sugar-free pickle juice. Uh, A sugar-free pickle juice is actually my favorite way to get salt in during a fast. I found that myself, who's always had a little bit of a sluggish thyroid, uh, my T3 levels are normal, but on the lower side, and stress definitely does a a number on them. And for women that I've worked with with thyroid issues, particularly hypothyroidism or Hashimoto's disease tend to be a little bit more dependent upon salt, mm-hmm. uh, and pickle juice seems to really do the trick for them. So those are our basic fasting fluids. Uh, for people who are brand new to fasting, though, and it's a big enough change as it is, so we permit them to use some of what we call fast or training wheels, fasting training wheels to get them started. So a fasting training wheel might be you know, having bone broth or low-carb vegetable broth more frequently throughout mm. the day or adding some fat like coconut oil, or MCT oil, butter, or heavy cream to their tea or coffee. But again, they're training wheels. And when you're learning to ride a bike, training wheels are cool. But when you're an older kid, you know, entering high school, it's not super cool to be on your training wheels still. Uh, You want to have learned and progressed and come off of them. So that's how we try to explain it to Are newbie fasters. Uh, So these things are okay to use at the start as your body's transitioning, but in the long term, you want to try to cut them out. I personally was drinking uh, so much chicken broth at the start, I became self-conscious about my body odor. I thought I I was smelling like a chicken. Um, But then eventually, six weeks down the road, I had all this unconsumed chicken broth in my, my refrigerator right. that I had made and I, my body just didn't need it as often anymore. Uh, so your body will let, let you know. Yeah. For patients that we work with that have a neurological condition um, or are struggling with cancer and want to incorporate fasting as part of their protocol, we just stick to water and salt. Fasting can induce this physiological state called autophagy which is a cellular recycling process that can take old and damaged cells and put them together in a new way and make new and healthy cells. So it can be desirable, for neurological conditions, uh, cancer uh, treatment and prevention, and just anti-aging in general and disease prevention. Mm -hmm. But um, with these patients, we need to learn a lot more about autophagy in human beings from a fasting perspective. There's some solid research out there from exercise uh, and ketogenic diets, Mm -hmm. which can induce autophagy. As well, but we need to learn a little bit about what does and doesn't interfere with autophagy for these particular patients. So we just stick to water and salt as our our basics. Um, but some some people, even who are just fasting to lose thirty pounds, uh, actually find water fasting to be easier. I find that there's a certain percentage of the clients that we work with is quite substantial. I'd say just under about fifty percent find that um, beverages like coffee and tea actually spike their hunger mm-hmm. and then suppress it. So fortunately uh, for me, I'm not in that category, but I've seen it with thousands of people. And every now and then when I have a house full of people, I'll, I'll do a survey amongst you know, my family members or friends. And I find it's about a 50-50 split uh, mm-hmm. amongst them. So Sometimes if a person really you know, finds that they, they don't want to go through caffeine withdrawal, we switch them to matcha tea, and that helps a little bit. Mm-hmm. And they find that that doesn't increase their appetite as much either.
0: So, Megan, I mean, we kind of t- touched on a few things in terms of the benefits of of fasting. Like we mentioned autophagy and weight loss. Are there any other benefits that we haven't mentioned?
1: There's so many. Um, so, you know, we actually see like full diabetes reversals. And this terrifies my lawyers every time I say this out loud. But, like, me, for example, like, I'm human. And I would say that 98% of the time, I have a pretty impressive diet. Like, I would be happy for any patient I've ever worked with to stumble upon me 98% of the time. Um, but there's that 2% of the time where I fall victim to things like pizza and ice cream. But two hours later, like when I go to check my blood sugar hours levels two hours later, my levels are completely normal. And they're in the, like a lower range of normal, not the high range of normal. And that's true healing. And I see that with patients all of the time too, you know, a year or two down the road, they go and they're on vacation somewhere, or they're on a night out and they say to the heck with it and they indulge in a, a dessert or a, a treat that they've been trying to limit and, and then they check their blood sugar levels two hours later and they're just totally floored because they're completely normal. When in the past they would have been sky high or their meter would have you know been flashing red at them uh, because they were so high. So that's really cool. But other things that we see too, um, issues with diabetic eye disease, diabetic retinopathy, macular degeneration. Um, We actually get a lot of our referrals from ophthalmologists. Um, Mm. So that's something that we've seen, or those are things that we've seen huge improvements with as well. Uh, And then just sort of hormonal balances, uh, symptoms of menopause going away, Mm. improvements with uh, PMS symptoms. For younger women, which is really incredible. We have one one health coach on our team. We call her the baby maker because uh, <laughs> she's now 50, I think, 50 babies in over the last four years uh, for women who were told that they were going to struggle with fertility because of PCOS. Wow. Um, mental clarity. So many people coming off of uh, medications like I did Adderall, improvement in depression, anxiety, uh, bipolar disorder. It's just, it's been really really remarkable um increased sex drive mental focus mental clarity um it's just it's been it's been a really awesome experience to see people benefit
0: no it's funny because I was getting a lot of questions I I posted the fact that you were coming on the show a couple days back and I was getting several questions about what you just brought up like impact on fertility impact on mood and all these things that I actually did not realize there was maybe some evidence for the benefits of fasting. And I'm wondering, you know, if you're comfortable answering this, like what's what's going on in the body? Like w- when you have a type 2 diabetic that goes by, does fasting at whichever interval and they're seeing, is it like, is it the weight loss or is it, is there more happening to be able to have these symptoms? improve?
1: So type two diabetes, for example, is caused by um, a condition called insulin resistance. It's, it's pretty much a synonymous term. So um, insulin resistance, meaning your cells have you know become resistant to your own body's insulin. So I, um, I, I joke uh, to people how I explain the development of insulin resistance is one of my favorite singers is Adele. And when I was younger and going through a breakup, she was, she was a breakup singer. So I listened to her mm-hmm. songs all like she was my best friend and my therapist. She didn't know any of this. I could but... sing you
0: some Adele if you want.
1: Yeah. <laughs> but she she was great. And then um, she disappeared for a few, few years, got married, had a baby, and then she came back. And I think um, Adele was many people's uh, uh, favorite artist. And she had this new song, "Hello." And one day I was driving home from work and. Eight of my 12 preset stations in my car were playing Adele's Hello. And at the first, I thought it was great. I love this song. I love this artist. But after it always being like that, I just wanted to scream goodbye, Adele. And I had developed Adele resistance. And so we have eaten in certain patterns that have caused our bodies to create a condition called insulin resistance. So we develop insulin resistance by having high volume of insulin being produced in the body. So your body will, the amount of insulin it produces is in response to what you eat. So if you eat a lot of carbs, your body is going to produce a lot of insulin because your body the insulin is required to get the energy from the carbohydrates into the cell or to convert it to fat because those are the, the main purposes of the, of the sugar in the carbohydrate. If you eat a lot of fats, you don't need insulin to be able to use the fat as fuel for the body. So depending on your diet, and typically in North America, we eat a very carby diet. So we're producing a lot of insulin. So high volume of insulin is one thing that contributes to insulin resistance, but then a frequency of the stimulus is the second thing that creates insulin resistance. So Nowadays, you know, we're told, don't ever go hungry. You know, you need to make sure you're having something to eat every one or two hours throughout the day.
0: Yeah, for so, your metabolism. And, yeah.
1: yeah, it's wild. So um, so we're eating lots of carbs, which are spiking our insulin, making our insulin go high. And then we're constantly creating a stimulus all day long. And we develop this condition called insulin resistance. And a lot of people come to us already trying to solve half the problem. So if the foods that they're eating are making their insulin levels go up, then they follow a low-carb dietary approach to try to prevent the food that they eat from causing their insulin levels to rise. But once you already have insulin resistance, your insulin resistance itself drives your insulin levels up. So a lot, a lot of people come to our program and they've been doing a, a really great, real food-based, low-carb or ketogenic diet, which is a very low-carb dietary approach. And they've had some great success, but they can't, they can't reach their optimal body fat goals. They can't get their A1C to their desired range. They're just stuck at like 80% better. And it's because a couple of things, the insulin resistance is still driving up the insulin levels. And that they're still eating all day long, and they're still creating that constant stimulus. So they have the high insulin levels still, and they have the constant stimulus. So when we put a person on fasting, you know, it's sort of like, this is very not scientific, but like absence makes the heart grow fonder, is sort of the gist of this a little bit. It allows the healing to occur. But what it really does is it, when you fast, your insulin levels don't go up at all. Nothing from diet so no higher elevated levels from whatever foods you're eating uh, and then just eating itself in its frequency. So you're you're changing your insulin set point within the body. You're driving it down. And that sort of breaks the cycle of insulin resistance. And this is why we're able to see, you know, reversals of conditions like type 2 diabetes in our, in our experience.
0: Yeah, and, and when you think about it too, like – You know, the more insulin you give somebody, the more weight gain you see, the more you add to the resistance, as you you mentioned. And so, you know, fasting, what what I heard you and and Jason mentioned, too, is just, you know, getting rid of those glycogen stores, allowing that a significant period of time without having to see insulin um, will reduce that level of resistance. And as you said, you could get people off their medications. You could essentially cure their diabetes.
1: Yeah, it's really wild. Like we um, we launched uh, seeing patients in clinic uh, June six two thousand and twelve. Um, I'll never never forget. There's a bit of a crazy story, um, and so I saw. That's when I saw my first fasting patient formally. And mm. so since then, I mean, it's twenty twenty now, and these like our first cohort of patients. um, We're all on insulin. And still, in 2020, they're still off insulin with great blood sugar control. It's so wild. It's just amazing.
0: So yeah, I mean, that's a nice segue into your clinic. By the way, that is amazing when, you know, I could tell you as a intensive care physician, we see the huge impact that obesity and, you know, type two diabetes has had on our, our population like patients are sicker the harder their ability to heal is more difficult you know the their ability to come off a ventilator is more difficult and your group with essentially lifestyle changes and we'll talk also about some of the costs associated with doing such a thing is curing these elements we're, we're making our population healthier which is beautiful okay and so Maybe let's get into the, some of the nuance of the clinic. So like I'm a new patient. I I want to lose weight. I want to cure my diabetes. What are the services that are provided there? Is it one-on-one teaching? Is it is it counseling? Like what what's what does your clinic setup look like?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So things have actually just radically, radically changed. I think uh, my my partner, uh, Jason Fung, um, he's gained a lot of notoriety. Uh, Jason and I are, are uh, like, I'm the yin to his yang or, or vice versa. So he likes going out there and ruffling feathers. And I I like to keep quiet, <laughs> quiet and do my work. But Jason, him, you know, being very bold and very active for so long, things actually got out of hand for us. Um, We were getting hundreds and hundreds of referrals beyond what we could see in person effectively. And then we realized that, you know, it's not so much in that appointment where people needed the support. They did, of course, but it's in between those appointments. Mm -hmm. So in clinic, we used to do all kinds of education and and. Uh, coaching and counseling, one on one and in groups. But we also found too that a lot of the patients just weren't there because it's the middle of their workday, or they were in a rush. Like even though they were physically there, mentally they weren't there. They're so we, uh, so we, and then we had all these requests. And you know, somehow through this, in the middle of this timeline, I met my husband, who's an American, and learned about the horrific healthcare system down there. As a Canadian, I always knew it wasn't. Wasn't ideal in the United States, but then just like my mother in law had life saving surgery, and she's a high school administrator, and she was so grateful. It only cost her eight thousand dollars, and I'm thinking about you know like she works really hard for her money. She's a single person. Like it's uh, she has a house. Like uh, that's a huge chunk of her annual income, and how grateful she was for that. mind blowing. So. And I started learning about the cost of insulin in the United States or medication. Crazy. It's nuts. It's like it,
0: absolutely nuts.
1: It physically made me sick. And um, we had people, we've just had some crazy experiences. So we started doing it online and then the online, it was online counseling and it just really started to, to boom. I was counseling people in clinic or online for 14 to 16 hours a day, six days of the week. And it was like you have these Americans in particular who were were homeless because they had to pay for their medications, and six months down the road, not only are they no longer diabetic and no longer need blood pressure medication or no longer need statins, like they're actually able to like rent their first apartment or rent their first home wow. and like that stuff like that that really gets to you so. Actually, at the end of last year, we decided to launch a new program called The Fasting Method Online, and um, it's education, it's support, it's interactive sessions. You know, right now, as we're recording this, we have our, our, our book club meeting going on right now. Nina Teiholtz is a guest in our book club this week, talking about the Big Fat Surprise um, we have group fasts. We have focus live sessions where people um, can interact with live uh, with health coaches trained by Jason and myself. And then we we have uh, health coaches too that just do fasting one on one with people. So in our clinic now, we just do medical monitoring, mm-hmm. and um, everyone is enrolled in the online for their support. And we've actually seen success rates go up because. They're booking online where it's convenient for them. They can do it at work, they can do it at home. These sessions are offered around the clock. Um, we have health educators living across the span of North America and oh. in Europe. Um, and then we're opening some other medical model clinics. So on January 27th, um, we open an, an, um, an IDM clinic in Houston, Texas, with Dr. Nandira Lee. Uh, We're opening another one up later this summer uh, in New York City. And uh, we have a bunch of clinics that um, will be offering our program or support to our online program as well over the course of the, the next 12 months. So it's an exciting year for us. So in the IDM clinic now, we just do medical management and there's a support staff there to guide people to the right resources online. And we do most of our education online through the fasting method.
0: Wow. I got to tell you, it's 2020. (laughs) And this is the way you got to reach people. Like Mm -hmm. people are busy. It's hard to get to clinic. As you said, people trying to take time out of their data to to get to clinic in the middle of the day is not always feasible or it's not easy. And you don't want to be adding an extra piece to allow anybody to not be compliant. And, this is what's so beautiful about this. From home, they get that support. They get that even that sense of community. I would, I would, I would say, Megan. And through this, they're able to achieve their goals. You're able to connect with them, and it sounds like it's even long-lasting. Like it's not a fad. Like you know what I'm saying? Because a lot of, you know, issues with changing diets is that, you know, how long can you comply? How long can you stick with it? And what I'm hearing from you, and they correct me if I'm wrong, is that they learn these methods, they get that sense of community, and they stick with the program.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And whenever anyone says to me fasting is not sustainable, or whenever a doctor tells me that it's not sustainable, you know, I think back to my own journey and what I've seen reflected in literally the thousands of people that I've worked with across the world. Like you finally get a taste of what it's like to feel good. Like I remember going back and that first month that I fasted, my energy was low. I was trying to figure out my salt. I was never good at hydrating. I would just eat when I was thirsty, like so many of us do. So trying to pick up on that cue, just everybody always eating around me, oh my goodness, and trying to modify my habits. It was tough, but The scale was down, my inches were down, you know, my blood markers were awesome in one month. And it's like, oh my gosh, you know, like this is wellness. And let let me see what another month can do. And by the end of that month, I've just felt so good. And when you feel good, like when you've had a taste of feeling good, Man, like you don't you don't want to go back to feeling like garbage. Mm-hmm. So you know, every holiday season, I never struggle with my patients getting back on track in the in the new year ever. Um, yeah, and that's because they they want to go back to feeling good. Like it's it's sustainable. Fasting asks you to do less, not do yeah. more. No, and it saves you money.
0: Well, I hope you enjoyed our first part with Megan Ramos. The second interview will be released in one or two weeks, so stay tuned for that. A couple shout-outs. I just wanted to give, once again, props to Tanya for making this happen. I also want to give props to team member Julia, who you might have seen on her social media profile. She's been leading the team and getting some of our social media promotions out there, so thank you, Julia. If you want to follow us, we're on Quadcast, on Instagram, on YouTube, on Facebook. And um, lastly... Merchandise. Which we started selling merchandise and all the pro, all the profits will be going towards Ottawa Inner City Health. So check that out. There's going to be links in the show notes. So last thing, leave any comments or questions at quadcast99 at gmail.com. And thanks for tuning in, everybody.